Good morning. I want to welcome everyone here to Endeavor Hill Church. Uh, it's good to see many of you, and uh, we survived another week. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, please guide us and direct us. Take my sins now as I'm chief among sinners, and the sins, both hidden and known, forgive me and renew me. Forgive me of how I treat people, and if I look at people and don't see them, open my eyes, my ears, and my heart, and do that for all of us here. Be with us as we discuss uh, important topics that you've laid on our hearts. Be with me as I preach, and thank you, Lord, in your name, amen. So, <clears throat> excuse me. today, we've been going through our series on um, what we believe, and uh, today I want us to talk about the uh, Protestant uh, belief of the priesthood of all believers. Uh, as it can be seen up there, is really the priesthood of all believers uh, can be summarized in 1 Peter 2.9, where it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for uh, his own possession, Christ, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like I said, today we're going to talk about the Protestant doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. First, to really understand what the priesthood of all believers is, we have to start at the beginning on, on what a priest is. Um, I've asked several of you what a priest is, and some of your responses are Old Testament priest, um, Catholic priest, things like this order. All very good answers, and you don't have to be part of the Judeo-Christian faith to uh, be a priest as well. There are pagan priests and priestesses. So a priest is, is someone that serves a God. Uh, today, within the context, we're going to talk about the Jewish priest, the individuals that served um, God as priests. Uh, we also cannot talk about the priesthood without talking about the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. So if you'll turn with me to Exodus 40, 1 through 15, Exodus 40, 1 through 15. give you guys a second to turn there Exodus 41 through 15 then the Lord said to Moses set up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year place the ark of the covenant inside and install the inner curtain to enclose the ark within the most holy place then bring in the table and arrange the utensils on it and bring in the lamp stand and set up the lamps place the gold incense altar in front of the ark of the covenant then hang the curtain of the entrance of the tabernacle Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the tabernacle entrance. Set the wash basin, basins um, between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Then set up the courtyard around the outside of the tent and hang the curtain for the courtyard entrance. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all its furnishings to consecrate them and make them holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely holy. Next, anoint the wash basin and its stand to consecrate them. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Dress Aaron with the sacred garments and anoint him, consecrating him to serve me as a priest. Then present his sons and dress them in their tunics. Anoint them as you did their father, so they may also serve me as priests. With their anointing, Aaron's descendants are set apart for the priesthood forever, from generation to generation. 
So we have to understand here in Exodus, um, the priesthood of Israel is established, drawn from the tribe of Levi, um, <clears throat> but specifically the priest, the high priest, was drawn from Aaron and his descendants. Some of the roles that priests held were they were to teach the people the law, the first five books. We have to remember that what we have as the Old Testament was not what they had. The first five books in the Bible were considered their Torah, and um, all the preceding books of the prophets came later on and were added um, as authoritative. But they, the priests were meant to teach the people the law. They performed the duties in the temple set through the Mosaic law. They were to act as missionaries going out to other lands and teaching and spreading and proselytizing. They came also, one of their roles was to come from the tribe of Levi. Now the tabernacle in the temple, it was the home of God among his people. It's where he dwelled and they came to meet him. It was a central location all people were required to come to at set times. So what is the priesthood of all believers? It is established, it was established by Christ's death on the cross, fulfilling the need for the Mosaic services. In Matthew uh, 27, 51, the curtain between the holy and the most holy place is torn top to bottom. Um, it's demonstrated that it was a divine celestial being that tore the curtain because it was absolutely massive and no one could have reached that high, uh, separating God from his people. Um, <clears throat> next, it was the occurred that priesthood of all believers occurred because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, when Peter uh, was a part of the 120 in the upper room and went out and, and proclaimed the gospel, and it multiplied by 3,000. The also the priesthood of all believers moved to the Gentiles at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through um, Paul and his missionary um, efforts. Um, God's spirit no longer dwells in a certain location or people group. It dwells within each of us. If you remember when we talked about the Old Covenant, New Covenant, the New Covenant is found as Jeremiah 31, 36, uh, 31, 31 through 34, sorry, tongue-tied today, is God says, and I will pour my spirit out upon them and teach them my law and place my law upon their hearts and I will be their people and I will be among them. And it's an individual God to individuals. This is no longer will you need teachers, no longer will you need all these things. So we here are under the new covenant. And as Peter says, we are all believers in Christ are all part of the priesthood. Priests need temples. The temple literally moved, and we need to understand this. And we're going to dive deeper in this um, in our series. The temple literally moved from being a building to being a being, from being a place of stone uh, to being a place of, of, of us. Uh, the temple is quite literally you and me. 1 Corinthians 3.16 reiterates this when it says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? Again, Paul writes two other times in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
2 Corinthians 6.16 Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. We stand as equals before God. There is no one over us spiritually. We do have individuals that God has placed and, and empowered through his Holy Spirit. Each of us have different spiritual gifts, um, which it is key for a church body um, to have everyone exercising and knowing and growing their spiritual gifts. But we are, are, are all guiding and growing together. No one person or group holds the keys to access to God. God communicates directly to and with a person individually and a people group collectively. It is like I addressed earlier in, in an earlier series sermon. It is uh, the new covenant. Really, Paul stresses this home in Galatians three twenty six through twenty eight. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here's a little fun fact that many of the priests became believers after Jesus' death. Luke records in Acts 6-7 that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They became Christians. They became believers. So, a story that demonstrates the importance to us since now you and I are, are belonging to the priesthood of all believers, and you and I are also the dwelling of Christ dwells within us. We are the temple of God, each and every one of us, is the story of Hophni and Phinehas. Those of us who are believers will have no doubt encountered the story of Hophni and Phinehas at least once in our life. We will often look at it and discern what we want from it, um, the sons were bad. This is often what we get from it. Eli was judged because he didn't raise them right, and so on and so on. We need to take it a lot more seriously than we do. <clears throat> the story of Hophni and Phinehas starts in 1 Samuel 2.21-36. It opens with saying that they... The sons of Eli were worthless men. It's pretty deep and pretty harsh. But you have to remember who authored the book. That was Samuel. He had to deal with the sons firsthand. He had to deliver the message to Eli that God was unhappy and was going to punish and end the line of high priests for, for Eli. Samuel had to observe and suffer the consequences for those two sons of Eli. He had to be associated with them growing up. And imagine your mom delivered you at two or three years old to Eli to grow up in the temple service. And yet here's these two individuals that grew up um, as the sons of high priests, a place of, of status, and yet they squandered it all. This side of the crucifixion, we find that there is no longer a priestly class that serves the Lord in a specific location where we are required to meet and sacrifice. 
that is Old Testament, Old Covenant. What we do find is that in 1 Peter 2.9, we are all priests, those of us who say we are believers or even pretend to be. This Protestant belief is known as the priesthood of all believers. God's temple or God's tabernacle, well, that is you and I now. Paul tells us that we are now the temple of God, as we saw earlier. The Spirit of God dwells literally within us and ministers through us individually and collectively as a church body, taking the place of the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple. Erroneously, we will point the finger at pastors and view them as the priestly class or type. We are all priests and need to be reminded of this. Being a pastor is a calling, a spiritual gift, a shepherding. Uh, we are all called to serve God and to minister to the believers and witness to the non-believers. Hophni and Phinehas knew God. They knew the rules. They had been raised up in the tabernacle and Levitical tribe from birth. They probably even had a good portion of the Torah memorized. They did not take their role seriously. They did not surrender themselves to God. They got what they wanted out of it. They were on the front lines between God and man and God and his, 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 his kingdom. And yet they were the farthest from God. In fact, while ministering for God, they were turning people away from God. They demonstrated apathy, selfishness, and manipulation. They were not the only ones who were in the wrong, though. Eli was close to God. He was high priest and served God directly. He wore the um, Urim and the Thummim. The, when people would have a question, he would it was worn on his uh, ephod, have a question of God for approval or disapproval or yes or no, and the stone would light up by God's will. So he saw this actively. He would also have to present himself in um, the sins of Israel before on the Day of Atonement. He encountered God continuously. He knew enough to instruct Samuel on what to respond to God when being called in the night. However, Eli chose peace with his sons instead of making peace for God. The story as it appears in 1 Samuel 2 is the climax of years of keeping peace, of equalizing and justifying the behaviors of Hophni and Phinehas. They didn't just become the way they were overnight. They were allowed and developed to become that way. They were instructed directly by their dad in the ways of the Levites, the law, and God. We can all assume that he probably excused behavior initially because it was cute or he was tired or they didn't know any better. Later, he probably just didn't want to upset his two boys, and he would talk to them. Hophni, Phinehas, and Eli were responsible for turning away an entire country from God. We see the climax when the two take the Ark of the, Co of the Covenant in complete defiance of God's will out, because, out to battle to meet the Philistines because they expected God to solve all their problems. They make a direct mockery of God. How often times do we abuse God like that? We won't fully surrender to God, and I'm speaking to my own heart here. And yet, when we have hard times and struggles, we expect, "Hey, God, we're gonna, we, we need you to have victory in our lives." It would have been better that they die than to continue to live. That is the harsh reality. How does this apply to you and me? I want you to reflect those who are parents and believers on uh, and believers on your children whether grown or still living at home do they believe 
do they demonstrate a strong, developing, healthy, and maturing relationship with God? If not, then what is the point of your faith? I know I have struggled and asked myself this uh, since we had Roman. What is the point of our faith if he grows up and he is not a strong disciple in Christ? That is the is harsh, but as the harsh reality of life. When we are parents, those of us who are believers need to also recognize that we are priests. We are responsible for growing up only not only sons and daughters, but also brothers and sisters in Christ. Each of us will have to answer, as can be seen in the book of Romans and other places in the New Testament, that we have to answer for the people we have caused to turn away from God. Each of us now has to answer for why we cheapened the priesthood that we are called to be, why we cheapened the temple that we are called to, to hold, why we cheapened the faith, why we caused God to be seen as a joke. Hophni and Phineas are a warning to us as parents who are believers. We need to hold our children, whether grown or old, accountable in love. In small conversations and large conversations, do we equalize between our children? Both say they believe, but one is pursuing Christ and the other is, is pursuing their life while slapping a God label perhaps on it. Then they are not equal. We are called to have tough conversations. We are called to lead and teach, to show equity, not equality. Equity means that I'm going to address each and every situation with the fullness of my attention, with my love, but they may not be equal situations, but I will give them equal amounts of my attention completely. Why? Because just like in the story of Hophni and Phinehas, God will met out those consequences. Hophni and Phinehas were killed in battle because Eli couldn't bring himself to follow God's will for his sons. So God took care of things. If we do not bring ourselves to follow God's will, God will take care of things in the end and bring about his will. Do you want to see your children in the new Jerusalem? Or do you want to see them outside? Aldous Huxley, who definitely is not a great example of a Christian, I don't even think he was a Christian, but he wants said a magnificent quote reality cannot be ignored except at a price and the longer the ignorance is persisted in the higher and more terrible becomes a price that must be paid eli experienced the reality of those words we are priests raising priests the new covenant comes with freedom Yet it comes with a greater responsibility. The responsibility on Eli and his sons now rests on each of us. Sometimes our Hophni and Phinehas are not our kids. They are things in our lives like our habits, our diets, our pride, our attitude, our cars, our belongings. Anything can be a Hophni and Phinehas, even our beliefs. If we would have dealt head-on with the problems then they were, when they were smaller, if we would have had the difficult conversations gone through the pain of struggling to bring them under submission, we would not be facing deep and painful consequences now. Excuse me. Sometimes even death. We want to sing loud the goodness of God, but we do not want to be good to God. We want to focus on the blessings of God, but are we a blessing to God? We shout loud of grace, mercy, and love, but what are we living as examples of his grace, examples of his mercy, and returning his love? 
Exodus 27, the third commandment in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, is one that we will often hear quoted. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That is usually translated down to swearing or saying God's name as a swear word. However, it goes far deeper than that. In the Hebrew, the literal translation for the third commandment translates as this. You shall not take up the name of Yahweh Elohim futilely. Yahweh will not hold him innocent who is taking up his name futilely. The Hebrews did not say God's name, still do not today say God's name when reading or speaking about God because they take the third commandment that seriously. Yet they are also understand that it goes far deeper than just speaking words. We take up God's name. We were created in his image. We are God's representation on earth. Jesus came as a man. Jesus dwells within us. We take him up. We, re our rep we uh, take Christ up when we are baptized. We are his representatives very much so, quite literally, in this life. The Hebrews understood being representatives and having God dwell within them, that how you live can cause God's name to become futile. That is the issue God had with Israel. Why have we, why we have the Old Testament books of the prophets? The definition of futile, according to the English dictionary, is A, as you can see up here, serving no useful purpose, or B, occupied with trifles. We cause God's name to become futile or to become vain when we demonstrate through our lives that, be that believing and following Jesus really doesn't serve a purpose. We aren't any different than the world and how we are living. We still watch our adult films. We might still gossip. We are still slander. We are still lazy. We are still judgmental. We are still selfish. We still hate. Then the list could go on of the things that we still do and perhaps are even worse. Futility is the sibling of apathy. Apathy and futility are the children of entitlement. Hophni and Phineas were deeply entitled because they were the high priest's sons. They served God, but they didn't serve God. Nothing really happened anyways when they sinned. They knew all the right things to say. They were sweet to their dad when he would chastise them. They would apologize. He would make sure they understood and would do better next time. Or, I'm sure that Eli thought as often as we all do, they have to figure it out on their own. That is on them. The problem is, it isn't. It is always on us. We are all connected in Christ. Your kids, my kids... Represent the same God you represent. Your struggles that you are dealing with aren't your own. Your struggles that you aren't facing with in your personal life cause a representation on representation of who God is for us all. There is an end to this. Many of us do not all reflect on that end. Even when the ark was taken up by Hophni and Phinehas, Eli still hoped. He sat and believed that God would see them through. It was the ark after all. Yet God continually tells us there is love and yet there is justice. There is kindness and there is anger. Psalms 4.4 4 says that we are to be angry but not sin. We are called to be angry and disturbed about all the issues around us. Yet we are called to be better than the world around us. What are you avoiding? What are you excusing in your life? What have you allowed in your life to grow from a small thing to a large thing?
What things in your life are causing God to be represented wrongly to the world? What things in our lives are making God a joke? The first step, here, here's, here's five steps. And having gone through withdrawals and recovery, the first step is a no-brainer, but it's one that is the toughest. And that is to actually acknowledge them. You know what they are. You're just in denial. You have to acknowledge them. God, I'm addicted to pornography. God, I'm addicted to alcohol. God, I'm addicted to smoking. God, I'm addicted to drugs, to prescription drugs. God, I'm addicted to shopping. You have to acknowledge whatever it is. God, I am a horrible slanderer. I love gossip. I love, I'm judgmental. You have to acknowledge it. Then you have to confront that in your life. You actually have to, you can acknowledge what you are all the time, but you actually have to confront it. Whether it's a person or it's a thing. Then you have to pursue them. Do not let the heat off. Too often in times we'll acknowledge, we'll confront, and then the heat will cool down. We'll, oh, it got a little bit better. The fourth is we have to fight them. When we pursue other problems, there is going to be a fight. We have to lean into the fight and trust in God. The same God you represent is the same God that dwells within you. He promises in Isaiah 43 that we will not avoid the fire, but that he will be with us through the fire. That we won't avoid the waters, but he will be with us through the flood waters. That we won't avoid the darkness, he will be with us through the darkness. We want to avoid, he wants us to fight. Whatever or whoever your Hophni and Phineas are, they are going to bite back. They are going to fight you. They are going to attempt to appease, to wear you down, to cuddle up. The fifth one is this. This is from, I, I actually like, uh, and I know it's horrible as a pastor, but I like fighting MMA. I don't watch it, uh, but I like training with it. And that is uh, in boxing. But you have to bring them into submission. You have to put them in a chokehold, an arm bar, whatever. It might take a lifetime, but you have to submit them. Who are we is not who God expects us to be. He loves us, but he wants more for us. He wanted Hophni and Phinehas to live happy and fulfilled lives, to serve him, to bless them, to bring about powerful faith through their ministry. I want to remind you with Galatians 3, 26-28. That we are all sons and daughters of God through our faith. That we were all baptized into Christ and we have put on Christ. Christ dwells within us. We have taken up his name. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither undocumented or documented citizen. There is, there is neither male nor female for we are all one in Christ. And if we are all one in Christ then we are all heirs to a promise. We all bear the responsibility of carrying Christ's name. Don't allow God to be taken as a joke. God wants more from you and for you. Let's bow our heads.